opportunity of reading this passage multiple times this week in preparation for this and it's been a real blessing and I'd like to both encourage and challenge you guys if you get an opportunity look up the passage for next week and spend some time reading it over and over in preparation for next Sunday because you will be blessed. Hebrews 2, chapter 5, uh, Hebrews 2, 5 to 18. It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking. But there is a place where someone has testified, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? A son of man that you care for him. You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honour and put everything under their feet. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them, but we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honour because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone." In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus was not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. Thank you, God, for the blessing of your word. May we be encouraged and blessed and shaped by it. Amen. I don't know about you, but... Uh, have you ever been hung on the horns of a dilemma? Have you heard that phrase, being hung on the horns of a dilemma? Maybe it's something from Queensland and from my past, I don't know. But what it means is you can see two equal points of view and you're wrestling over it. Um, I had a, a, the horns of a dilemma this week, actually. Um, I'm in the process of trying to transfer my super from one company to another. Well, on the website it says, this will take you about 10 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) 
and I got part way through it and it said, the information I've supplied doesn't match what the ATO has, the Australian Taxation Office. Ring the Taxation Office. So I rang the Taxation Office. All the information I'd supplied is exactly what they had. So I go back to the website, go through it all again, and it says, does not max, match what the Taxation Office says. Contact the Taxation Office. So I contact the company, explain to them what's happened. Anyway, you get the picture. Three and a half hours later, in fact, the next day, I still couldn't do it. I'm, I'm hung somewhere in between one, one you know, lot of super and the next. I just, I can't quite do it. And Hebrews 2 is picking up on an issue that uh, we may not at first be aware of, but if we pay the attention that we're exhorted to at the beginning of the chapter, we'll find there is indeed something here we need to wrestle with. Chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, said we must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we've heard so that we will not drift away. And last week, Carl outlined seven fantastic reasons for us why we shouldn't drift away from what we've heard about the Son of God, that he upholds all things by the word of his power. He's the radiance of God's glory. He's the exact representation of God's being. Five excellent uh, seven excellent reasons why we need to pay careful attention to this Son of God and think about him. And when we do, a little, if you like, dilemma presents itself. And I could put it like this. If you look at verse, verse 8, it says, Yet at present we do not see everything subject to him. What is that about? We'll go back to verse 5. Verses 5 through to 8 are a, a quote and an exhortation. It's not to angels that he subjected the world to come about which we're speaking, but there is a place where someone has testified, what is mankind that you're mindful of them, a son of man that you care for him? You made them a little lower than the angels, you crowned them with glory and honour and put everything under their feet. So chapter 1 has been at pains to point out to us that Jesus is superior to the angels. There's quote after quote after quote saying, to which of the angels did he ever say this? To which of the angels did he ever say that? And then here in Psalm 8, we read, what is mankind that you're mindful of them, the son of man that you care for them? You've made them a little lower than the angels. And it says, in putting everything under them, the NIV has them, other versions might have under him, meaning Christ. And it can be taken either way. God has left nothing that is not subject to them or to him. Yet at present we do not see everything subject to them or to him. Think about it. If Jesus is superior to the angels, but he's taken on a human body and human beings are made a little lower than the angels, does that make Jesus lower than the angels? We need to think about that. 
And he's saying especially because we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, but he's now crowned with glory and honour. But at the moment, we don't yet see everything subject to them or to him. So it's very clear that we don't yet see everything in creation subject to us. I mean... um, our cars get pelted by hailstones. Our houses get uh, devoured by bushfires. Our, our crops can get you know, flooded and, and swept away. Uh, people can go swimming and get eaten by sharks. All kinds of things at, at the moment show us that we don't yet see human beings exercising the dominion over creation that God planned for us. But Jesus becoming human enabled him to regain mankind's lost dominion. He had to become human. He had to become one of us to help us recover our lost position. A little lower than the angels, but different from the angels. So this psalm is taking us back to Genesis. Psalm 8 reflects on the fact that Genesis tells us that when God made human beings, the first man and the first woman, he gave them dominion over his creation. And the writer of Psalm 8 is marvelling at God's handiwork and that he would share his power and glory with mankind. He says, who are we that you should be mindful of us? He's going, wow, that's amazing. So we created a little lower than the angels because we live on earth under them. Angels are heavenly beings with more power than us, but we actually have some privileges that they don't have. Look at what verse 5 says. It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come about which we're speaking. God never promised that angels would reign over the world to come. But he has promised that to us. God created human beings to rule on his behalf. He didn't create angels to do that. They're messengers, and that's the very meaning of their name. And they, they minister to us who are the heirs of salvation. So, so far, so good. But verse 8 states that problem. At present, we don't yet see everything subject to them. Clearly, it's, it's obvious that we don't exercise that kind of full dominion that we were created for. And in our struggle to control creation, we're exploiting it for our own selfish gain. Listen to what Mark Bain wrote in Quartz magazine just at the end of December. The Regional Council for Southern Downs, an area along the border of Queensland and New South Wales, signed off on an application by Joyful View Garden Real Estate Development to run a water extraction plant on its large Cheriba resort property. Despite complaints by neighbouring property owners, the council approved it, even as it prepared to implement extreme water rations in the area. In the nearby town of Stanthorpe, plans are underway to truck in emergency water to ensure it doesn't completely run out. 
Joyful View, meanwhile, intends to pump water out of the ground at Cherubah and move it in tankers to its bottling plant on the Gold Coast and sell it, sell it mostly overseas to China. These practices aren't limited to Australia. In the United States, corporations have been extracting water in dry parts of California even during drought and draining aquifers in Florida in order to sell it. No wonder we have climate change activists, or some people call them terrorists. There's all kinds of protests because when you look at it, it's like when commercial interest is, is uh, important, common sense goes out the door. And universal sinfulness is taking its toll on us all. It ruins our capacity to exercise the kind of dominion over creation that God intends for us. And Psalm 8 opens up with, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And it closes with the same line. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. But overall, we human beings are not doing a very good job of showing God's majesty in all the world. We don't live up to what we were created for. But here's the hope. Look at verse 9. We do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honour, because he suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Jesus lives to make God's name majestic in all the earth. He did that while he was on earth, and he's doing it now from the Father's right hand. And he's, he did it from all eternity as the eternal son of God. He is the radiance of God's glory, the outshining of his majesty, the, the, the exact representation of the being of God. The whole purpose of the son is to put the father on display, to show us God. And when he was on earth, Jesus said, he who has seen me has seen the father. I and my father are working. And he continues that. So he gained a human body. He was divine, but he took on a human body. But it was to continue exactly what he'd already been doing. But it was to achieve a purpose that would, be, that would redeem us and bring us back to our rightful place of dominion over the world. To restore our rightful place under God as his light bearers, as his rulers over creation. And Jesus continues to do that in heaven with a human body, as the God-man. And this is what Hebrews 2 is pointing us to. If Hebrews 1 showed us the majesty of the Son and his divinity, Hebrews 2 is showing us the majesty of the Son in his humanity with his divinity. They're not at cross purposes. There's no real horns of a dilemma. What he did as the eternal son of God, he continues to do as the sinless lamb of God. What Jesus existed for continues for the same purpose, to show the wonder of God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So he takes up Psalm 8 into himself and shows us what human beings are meant to be like. 
He showed us God's purpose for creation. Angels cannot save sinners by becoming human, but Jesus can, and Jesus does. Angels cannot restore our lost dominion, but by becoming human, Jesus did. It's wonderful. It's majestic. Adding humanity to his divinity did not make Jesus inferior to the angels. It gave him the means to glorify God even more. Far from being a handicap, Jesus becoming human and remaining human forever was the best thing possible. It gave him exactly the platform he needed to redeem us. There was no other way. If the wages of sin is death, Jesus had to become one of us and die our death. He had to undergo the penalty for sin. He had to ransom us. And the ransom price had to be what was required of a human being. So our purification and forgiveness through Jesus Christ are just the start of what we need to begin to live as God intended. Jesus is now our man in glory, if you like, living out the dominion Adam lost, showing us how it's done. He shows us mankind made a little lower than the angels, but now with everything under control, everything under his feet, crowned with glory and honour, just as Psalm 8 describes. So Jesus becoming human and regaining mankind's lost dominion is the narrative we need to take on board for our lives. God created us for more than just working to earn a living so we can save up, save up enough to retire and hopefully live a happy life until we die. There's a whole lot more to it. There's a God component to it. There's, there's God's reasons why he brought us into the world. We are created to live productive lives which make the world fruitful to the glory of God and show the excellence of his name in all the earth. That's our rightful dominion, living out under good, God's good intention for the world. But verses 10 to 13 take us on to, to make this even more clear. Jesus becoming human didn't just enable us to recover our lost dominion. Jesus becoming human enabled him to bring many sons and daughters to glory. Not just our dominion on earth, but to bring us to glory in heaven above. Look at, at the verses we're told here in bringing many sons and daughters to glory is fitting that God for whom and through whom everything exists should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Pioneer means like a trailblazer. He, Jesus is the pioneer of those he saves. He opens the way for us to follow. The first Tasmanian pioneers made their way through the bush and built their homes. They made roads and bridges. They named places and set up signs. In fact, whenever I drive to Devonport, I have a real smile to myself when I go past a road called Smith and Others. I've, I've never seen such a, a name for a road, Smith and Others. I can only surmise that in the early days when that name came, a family called Smith lived down there along with others. 
and they called it Smith and others. I, I, I don't know. Maybe there's a family called others. But one time I actually took a wrong turn on my way back, the back way from Port Sorrell, and it was Smith and Others Road that got me back onto the Bass Highway. So in a curious kind of way, I'm thankful for it. But by God's grace, it's through Jesus who gave up his glory to become man and who gained it back when he arose and went to heaven that any of us can come home to God and recover the highway of holiness and recover the highway to life. It's only through Jesus that, that I'm on the way to glory with many others. In fact, Ephesians says we're already seated with Jesus in the heavenly places. We're also told in verses 11 to 13 that by God's grace, we're in the same family with Jesus. Look at this. There's a, both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy, verse 11, are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, and there's, there's some quotes here, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly I will sing your praises. And again, I'll put my trust in him from Isaiah. And again from Isaiah, here am I and the children God has given me. He's taking up words from the mouths of the prophets and he's saying, I'm doing this, Father. Here am I and the children you've given me, the children I've ransomed. And it's, it's like we're already with him in heaven. He's presenting us, introducing us to the Father. So when he stands there, he's our trailblazer. He's our pioneer. He, we're going to follow. He's the first fruits of those who are raised from the dead. We get to follow. First fruits implies second, third, fourth and many more. So think about it. When, when Jesus suffered during his life on earth, and especially on the cross, it was because he laid aside his immunity from suffering by becoming one of us, taking on a human body in which he experienced tiredness, hunger and pain, just like me, just like you. He, he was agonising in prayer when he perspired great droplets of blood in the garden. It was excruciatingly painful for him to be whipped and crucified for, for your sins and for mine. It was humiliating for him to hang on a cross and be scoffed and jeered at for his faithfulness to God. But by taking on our humanity which cost him so dearly through pain and suffering, Jesus paid the price to make us one of the same family. As our elder brother, he was faithful in all things. As the second Adam, he did all things well. Doing everything perfectly and delighting the Father. He declared God's name faithfully to us. And now he freely shares his glorious inheritance with us and he's not ashamed to own us before the Father in that glorified body. John 17, in John 17, Jesus prayed this, I brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. 
And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. And may they see my glory. We glimpse that glory now by faith in what the Bible says. Those quotes from Psalm 22 and Isaiah 8 are showing us that Jesus who is perfected forever. As the song says, he walked on earth showing glimpses of heaven. The wind and the waves were obedient to him. No angel can ever lay claim to what Jesus has done. But there's a further benefit of Jesus becoming human. Not just our dominion, not just taking us to glory, but Jesus becoming human enabled him to disarm Satan and deliver us from death. The writer is moving forward in, in building the steps of amplifying what the Son of God has accomplished by being human. Verses 14 through to 16. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. So it wasn't just so that we would be redeemed, it was to smash the teeth of Satan. It was to to rob him of his chief, chief weapon, death. And, and, and to free us who all our lives were held in slavery by our fear of death. Now that's a magnificent accomplishment. And he could not accomplish it without a human body. If Satan has control over human beings, for human beings to be delivered from his control, Jesus had to become a human being and break the stranglehold which he did on the cross and through his resurrection. Death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Those are the words that that just sang in my heart the day I helped carry my mother to the grave. We're in a little cemetery in a country town called Kyogle in northern New South Wales, taking mum off to, to the grave 33 years ago. And, and they're the words that stuck with me. Death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who lives and believes in me will never never die. And he who believes in me, he who lives and believes in me will never die. And whoever believes in me and dies, yet will he live. It's kind of a win-win because of his resurrection. So no angel can ever lay claim to this. Only Jesus. And it's because he took on flesh and blood that he could deliver us from all our fears of death so we can smile in the face of death and say, welcome, you're just God's servant delivering me home to glory. There's another benefit. Jesus becoming human enables him to be a sympathetic high priest to us. Look at verses 17 and 18. 
For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. How could Jesus do that if he was a stranger to what it was like to live in a human body. Angels are pure spirits who have not suffered. They live in the presence of God and cannot identify with us in our weakness, bodily weaknesses and human needs. But Jesus can. And Jesus does. He was a helpless baby. He grew up as a child. He was a maturing adolescent. He was weary and hungry and thirsty. He was lied to and lied about and falsely accused and betrayed. He was despised and rejected. He experienced physical suffering and and deepest anguish in death on the cross. The incarnation allowed Jesus to become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, identifying with us in our weakness. If you want an example of a man who is not a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, then read about Eli in the Old Testament. He accused broken-hearted Hannah of being drunk. Our merciful and faithful high priest understands us and what we're going through. He would never accuse us. He stands beside us and with us. Eli didn't restrain his wayward sons who were a disgrace to himself and to God and to everything that human beings were created for. In contrast, far from accusing us when we sin, Jesus stands up for us and pleads his blood in our place. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Angels are like those of us who haven't experienced pain and loss and try to imagine ourselves into the situation of others without really understanding. Jesus is different. He knows and understands from personal experience. Our Lord Jesus Christ is both merciful to us and faithful to God. He's merciful toward people, faithful toward God. He's the God-man. He's our representative in heaven. He did not need to make a sacrifice for himself because he was sinless but he offered himself as the perfect sacrifice for our sins, himself. He offered himself. These days, I I can't imagine my Lord not sympathising with me. There was a time in my Christian life where I didn't see the benefit of Jesus being human so much as his being divine. I thought he really needed to be divine in heaven because he had to uphold the universe and everything else, but his humanity had served its purpose when he was on earth. But nothing could be further from the truth. Jesus identifies with you and with me 
as our merciful and faithful high priest. He needs that body to still be our representative in heaven and show us the way. So as we wrap this up, let's recap. Jesus' humanity enabled him to regain mankind's lost dominion. His humanity enabled him to bring many sons and daughters to glory. His humanity enabled him to disarm Satan and deliver us from death. His humanity enables him to to be a sympathetic high priest to his people. Far from Jesus becoming human merely so he could die in our place and shed his blood to atone for our sins, he restored our humanity and continues to use his humanity for our welfare. This will richly repay meditation. This is worth really paying attention to lest we drift away from it. Do you see Jesus this way? The writer of Hebrews says, but we do see Jesus. We do see him. Seated in glory, in victory, as conqueror. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we bless you for sending us your Son. We thank you that Jesus becoming a human being was more than just a temporary fix, more than just something he assumed for a time, for 33 years, and then really had no further use of. We thank you that it was all part of your plan that we might behold you as majestic in all the earth by beholding your Son, your beloved Son in whom you are well pleased. We thank you that you raised him from the dead and exalted him to the place of honour. We thank you for how well he represents us, how knowingly, how feelingly, how compassionately he understands us. We thank you for his victory over death, over Satan, disarming him of his chief weapon, death, and the fear of death. Father, we thank you that through Jesus we have all that we need for life and for godliness on this life, in this life, on this planet, and in the world to come. We thank you that he continues to be everything that we yearn to be. We praise you for his victory. We ask that you would write these things deeply on our hearts, that we might know Jesus, whom to know is life eternal, that we might be taken up into your big plan and live as you want us to live, as you intended for mankind to live not tinkering around with the things of this world and the small mind and its small-minded ways. Deliver us, we pray, from the fear of death. And deliver us into your presence in the rightful fear of God. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen.